myself Keetana we are so happy to have you on board with us today my first question is a very basic curiosity question that i have in my mind since i first talked to you you are a student of major in economics you're working as a content developer with a startup but you're still very sensitive towards nature and wildlife how come a student of economics that to finance particularly is so sensitive towards nature it's very unique in my opinion what's the story behind this Thank you for the question. That's actually a really interesting question because people in my youth are unaware of my passion for animals and completely don't understand why I care about animals the way I do. Whereas people from my childhood are quite surprised that I'm doing economics and finance and not something related to animals. The truth is all I wanted to do was be a vet growing up. I actually got conditional offers from schools in Scotland. Unfortunately, I did not meet the grades required. and my office got revoked so i took a gap year to figure out what i wanted to do in life and if there's anything related to animals that i could do um i decided to pick economics and finance because i recognized it was a sector that was intriguing and something i was willing to explore so i decided to do economics and finance and i came to terms with not becoming a vet so my efforts to help the environment through my volunteer work has really been just the way I've been doing it because I recognize that all of us actually practice something called selective empathy and it took me about 18 19 years to recognize that and I also realized being a vet is not as glamorous as we think it is it also condones what I don't support such as mass production of livestock you know we never think about the manpower that goes behind producing meat It's not just producing meat, it's producing healthy meat that can be consumed by consumers. So if I did become a vet, I'm quite sure I would have ended up on a farm being a hypocrite, just, you know, supporting something I do not support. And uh yeah, I think I think that would have been my downfall, you know, cuz all all we think about when we want to be vets is helping that sick dog or helping that sick bird at the vet, at the clinic. We don't think about the bigger picture and all the other animals that need our help that you know it's not just animals that we're helping it's the consumers that we're helping we're we're helping put that piece of meat on ta- on the table and there's nothing wrong with that i don't think there's anything wrong with that but personally as someone who feels very strongly for animals i think that would have just killed me on the inside so i'm really glad i'm not a vet i'm quite happy doing economics and finance i think there's a lot more to explore through economics and finance And I love what I do on the side. I I love talking about animals. I I love talking about anything really related to animals. I, I'm one of those people where I'll just walk in the garden, find a cat, and I'll talk to the cat for 20 minutes. That's how much I love animals. It's crazy. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> my love for animals started from a very young age. I actually have my mother to thank for that. She always um told me how important animals are. and always you know encourage me to talk to animals and play with animals and care about them like they're humans so yeah that's the reason well it's so good to hear from you how much love and compassion you have towards all the animals uh, very honestly speaking it's a proven fact today that animals are more loyal and uh, selfless than humans and definitely i feel they equally contribute to the ecological balance and cycle of the world and hence they must be given equal chance of living freely as freely as we live right now in the lockdown period i really feel 
happy for them when they come out of their cages and they are living a good life like humans. But this cannot continue forever and this brings me to my next question. The definition of sustainability is different for different people. I really hope that you agree with that. In today's world, uh, it's very difficult to say that you can shut down all the activities that is especially depleting the nature, uh, activities like industries, mining, stuff like that, which we feel is somehow causing problem in the nature and polluting the environment, depleting the environment. If we do that forever, then all of us are going to face the adverse effects of it. It's just two months now that the world is shut and we all are almost dying out of this situation. Also, it will ruin the life of those also who are going to say that, okay, we should shut down all the activities to save the nature. In this kind of a situation, being a student of economics and also being an environmentalist, how could you suggest a balance between sustainability and economic growth? What I mean is, how can we strike that perfect balance between economic sustainability and revival and environmental revival and sustainability? Any analogy that you would want to give here? There's actually an economic concept that people are not very aware of. It is known as circular economy. It is the complete opposite of traditional linear economy. You know, linear economy we all know as taking, making, and then disposing of it. The circular economy basically means you're keeping everything within the loop of production or manufacturing and after. You know, everything remains within the loop in the sense that raw materials, components, and products lose their value as little as possible. And if you think about this, if we move forward in this way of thinking, that would open up a lot of opportunities, not just job opportunities, it would open up economic growth opportunities, it would keep doors open for innovation. Like if you think about it, fintech has become a really big component of today's world. Everybody wants to get into fintech. But if you think about circular economy, that will probably get entrepreneurs thinking about oh how can i actually benefit from this that would be really interesting if you know we started getting innovators thinking about ways to actually try and make circular economy a thing personally i believe that the way forward for the future would be circular economy it's going to take time but definitely creates a lot of opportunity Thanks a lot for this answer, Kirtana, and really, circular business models is definitely one of the upcoming approaches. I've recently studied about them and I've seen how they are quickly replacing the general business models of the world. And not just core economics, I really feel that we need to strike this sustainable balance in all the fields, including engineering, mechanics, and whatsoever across globe. Also, I feel that when uh, money and material remains in a cycle with, uh, where it is created, used and then not wasted but recycled, it's always good because uh, in that way we are saving a lot of resource and maybe protecting the environment as well. So, Keetana, you are staying in Singapore for quite a long time now and Singapore is known for its tremendous economic growth in the recent few years and also as a country with strict laws and rules on the point of sustainability and environment, what things can the world learn from Singapore? I mean, we just want to know what makes it a country with such a good balance between environment and economy. Singapore is a great country. It's given me so many opportunities in life, both in my education as well as my private life. I love the fact that I've met so many like-minded people that care about the environment as much as I do, that care about animal rights as much as I do. There's one thing that Singapore definitely stands out in doing. It is their waste to energy incineration plants. Basically means that they convert their waste into energy through combustion. 
Um, the heat from the combustion generates superheated steam in boilers, and the steam drives turbo generators to produce electricity. There is a lot of controversy behind this, but personally, I think it's a great step forward, and it's something that other nations can learn from. You know, instead of dumping our waste in smaller countries, in countries with smaller voices, we can learn from Singapore and do this. A big part of Singapore as well is how they actually practice circular economy. It is known as new water. So new water is actually just conventionally treated wastewater that is further purified to produce something called new water. And this can be drunk. Anybody can drink it off the sink. It's fine. And it's a fantastic example of what circular economy is. Well, that sounds very creative. And to be honest, in the last few days, as we were talking with many youth leaders from across globe, waste management has been considered as one of the most important concerns. Just to quote an example, Emmanuel from Nigeria was one of the persons who has his own startup for waste management. And he's very creatively composing the waste into a product which will be useful for students for their projects in colleges or in schools, which is great. And Singapore is doing it on its behalf, which is a nice thing. Shifting the focus from the national development to a personal development, you've been working in association with Singapore WWF. So anything significant which you can share that you've done so far in association with them? Like what good has been done or what good is being done right now, which can actually bring about a good effect in the future, a positive effect for the nature, for the environment. My heart fills with pride when I hear about such instances where youth is working together to get out the best from the waste. So on one hand, someone is trying to connect waste management with education. On the other hand, the other person is trying to connect waste management with resource development, which is really good. I think these kind of prospect ideas are going to shape the future of our world in a better way. Personally, to me, what's really important is educating people. And I think that's the biggest thing I've actually done. Being able to make people aware, be it in person, be it through social media. I love what I do. I love talking about animals. I love talking about the environment. And I'm glad that WWF has actually given me the platform to do so. Be it through big events like Earth Hour or road shows or even, you know, collaborations with Seven Clean Seas to clean up beaches. It's great because you meet people who are interested in it. You meet people who are already in it, and you also meet people who are curious about what you have to say. Get the occasional person who just asks me questions for the sake of asking me a question. Sometimes I can't answer the questions, and I recognize that that is fine. That gives me a drive to learn more, to be able to answer such future questions. And honestly, the most rewarding thing is being able to educate someone, to have someone turn around and tell me that, hey, because of you, I decided to make a small change in my life that's completely worth the years I've done my work. WWF has actually launched a speaker program that is meant for volunteers who want to go the extra mile. So I'm a part of this program. I am a public speaker for WWF on behalf of WWF who goes out in public with a group of other speakers, whether individually or as a group. And we talk about the environment. You know, it could be something like a school discussion going to school, sitting down with a group of students, talking about the environment. It could be a speech. It could just be a Q&A session. It's great. I think it's a great way to have people who are not from an actual organization, so not people working for them, 
but volunteers who willingly go out into the public to talk to people alike and you know just create awareness i think it's a great step and i think approaching schools is the best way because children are tomorrow's leaders well i just realized that we have such a positive coincidence today to be shared with you all on the day of recording of this podcast it is also the international day for biological diversity it is said that the world is not only for humans and it's a matter of pride for us to be with a person today who definitely believes in this the world is not only for humans it's equally for all the animals the flora the fauna and everything else existing on this planet first of all congratulations to you for being a public speaker for wwf you're not just doing a work for experience but you're also doing a work for actually transforming lives of people and i can well imagine how beautiful that experience would be congratulations for that this brings me to my next question as you are one of the speakers for this matter i think you can relate with this very well greta thunberg came as an inspiration recently when she highlighted the matter of environment conservation very boldly in front of the world leaders but still unfortunately some of the people amongst us are still ignorant about the environment we are constantly trying to defend ourselves by accusing those who are raising such sensitive matters what do you think can be done in order to make people more sensitive towards sustainability and nature because we are already witnessing that if we play with nature the nature can play with us very well and the nature has the power of self healing but in that case we are going to go in very tough circumstances in such a situation what do you feel can be done in order to sensitize people towards environment conservation and what can be done in this direction along with this i have another question which is very well related to this matter kitana i would like to know from you what is the importance of government intervention and government's role in addressing problems like climate change degrading environment ozone depletion etc what's their role in this way i think we can understand the role of both individuals and the government authorities the powerful people in actually addressing issues of environment conservation and uh, climate change the way to appeal to people or to make people more sensitive to the environment is to actually personalize it when i say personalize i mean making it about them because humans by nature care about themselves they care about what affects them how they're going to be affected by something and how they can stop negative impacts so instead of just talking about global effects generally or statistics that do not hit home it's natural for people not to care yes they will listen to you in the moment but it just stops there it doesn't it doesn't carry on it's not something that is going to affect them directly a good example of this would actually be covid-19 it's sad what it's done to us humans we're at top the food chain yet we are locked up like animals but if you think about the animals and you think about the plants you think about the oceans you think about the lakes you think about the mountains you think about the forest it's amazing what you know a standstill in human consumption can do it's amazing and that has actually opened the eyes of many you know i open facebook and i see my friends sharing posts of you know returning sea life returning animals you know it's fantastic it's it's amazing it really warms my heart and it even warms their heart because they recognize what a standstill in human consumption can do for the environment it's it's lovely it's beautiful to see that is something personal 
You know, COVID-19 is affecting each and every one of us. And we don't want it to come back. We don't want it to happen again. And we recognize the consequences of our actions. So that in itself has created a lot of awareness of what we're doing and how that has impacted the world. It's great that you bring up governments because often individuals don't see it as governments who need to address climate change. Climate change is often seen as individual efforts that you and I need to be better people. But if you really think about it, it is as fundamental and as important as economic problems and social problems like human rights and unemployment. Those are global issues. Those are national issues. So is climate change. And we don't see that often enough. We don't talk about the fact that climate change is a global problem. It is a global scale. It is not an individual scale that, you know, governments can do, not just signing the Paris Agreement and saying, hey, I've done enough. For starters, they can actually listen to their people. If governments actually listen to their citizens, there would be a difference. Personally, I believe at least, you know, if we as individuals came together as a society to push our government, to push our leaders, to go out there and talk to our member of parliament, you know, I think there would be more change in this world. If you think about it, if governments even put in 10% of the effort they've done to combat COVID-19, there would be a lot of change and there would be so much we can do for the environment. It's great, really, what has happened. You know, we've never seen borders closed the way they have. And it's fantastic what governments are doing together to combat this. It's really eye-opening. It's really amazing, you know, when you, when you actually put in effort and the results of that, wow. Imagine if we actually just put like 10, 20% of that into climate change, that would be such an amazing impact. I think it's important for governments not to just work with big companies and expect big bucks from them. It's really important, I think, for governments to expect their producers, you know, of the country, the big, the big money makers, to be completely transparent with their supply chain. You know, often we go turning a blind eye to what companies do, you know, whether it's, you know, human rights, whether it's animal rights, whether it's the environment, you know, consumer goods, we never know the exact supply chain. I don't really know from A to Z where a lot of my products come from. When I do the research, often I can't find A to Z. Sometimes I can after a lot of hard work, but often, no, I can't. I, I don't know where my, you know, I'm looking around my room. I don't know where my Vaseline comes from. I don't know A to Z. I don't think Unilever can tell me where it comes from A to Z without having me stop buying their products. A lot of these big companies as well, you know, big factories, I'll, I'll, I'll use agriculture as an example. They use a lot of natural resources and governments don't say anything about this. So a way of combating it without actually severing ties, I believe, would be actually having governments support small agricultural producers because these producers you know, employ sustainable practices, care about land restoration. It's great. I think if governments started doing that, that would be a real big step into the future for a better tomorrow. A lot of these big companies as well, you know, big factories, I'll, I'll, I'll use agriculture as an example. They use a lot of natural resources and governments don't say anything about this. So a way of combating it without actually severing ties, I believe, would be actually having governments support small agricultural producers because these producers, you know, employ sustainable practices, care about land restoration. 
it's great. I think if government started doing that, that would be a real big step into the future for a better tomorrow. Whatever insights you have shared are also true. We are all able to witness the environmental and nature revival these days across the globe in whatever areas we are living in. The lakes are reviving, air is so clean, it feels so lighter to breathe now. People are able to witness Himalayas from the terraces in India. Apparently these might just be memes, but they are making us realize what we humans have been doing to the nature. So definitely this boils down that individual responsibility is important. The second thing that you mentioned that there is government responsibility as well is very true. Because humans on their part, even if they are doing a lot, we are not able to see that much of a change in some places. So definitely government and the authorities have a big role to play here with both the money and with the direction. Over here I have another question for you. What's your reading of the circular business model based market at this point of time? Do you have one large enough to accommodate the demands of growing population? At least as far as Singapore is concerned, can you answer this question to me? Or do you think it's just at a nascent stage right now and we still need to develop a lot? The idealist in me would like to say, pat yourself on the back. You've done enough. You've done so much for the environment, you know, hurrah. But the realist in me also recognizes that, yes, we have come this far, but we have so much further to go. We have so many years to catch up with. It's not even funny when you think about it. And the first step is awareness, is to make yourself aware of what is going on and make yourself aware that, hey, it's not just an individual, it's our governments, it's our companies. And with all of us working hand in hand, we will build a sustainable market. We will build demand for a sustainable market. And with demand for a sustainable market, there will be opportunities for suppliers to supply our sustainable market. That's very really true. It's all a collaborative effort and all of us have to come together to make this a reality. The individuals cannot survive without the support of government. The government cannot survive without the support of markets. And the economy as a whole cannot survive without the interference of government and markets and people. So it's all in all interdependent upon each other. All of us have to be equally aware and disciplined in this regard, I feel. The future looks bright. Bright because the youth knows what we want. The youth is aware that we are looking at a big cost cutting and also looking at sustainable development of the market. And I'm very sure we'll soon be able to achieve that with the collaborative efforts of the government, the market persons and the people. We really want to know what is the motivation behind all of this. If there is one quote which you live by, what is it? And if you had to give one piece of advice to the youth who's listening to you right now, what could it be in terms of environment conservation and applying your knowledge in the right way? If there's a quote that I live by, that I hold dear to my heart, it would be a quote by Mahatma Gandhi. You must be the change you want to see in this world. It's very simple, but it's also very powerful. I choose to be the change I want to see tomorrow. I choose to be the person that I am tomorrow because I want a better world for my children, for my future self. It's as simple as that. I think it's a very simple quote, but it also completely hits home. If I had to give a piece of advice, it would be the advice of being forgiving. Not only forgiving of the people around you, 
but also forgiving of yourself. When we try to make a difference in the world, we're very hard on ourselves if we don't achieve what we want. If we don't see the change that we want, we tend to be very hard on ourselves. And I think it's very important to recognize that we are only human and it's okay if there's a setback. It's okay if it takes more time to reach a certain goal in life because at the end of the day, we are human and we live complicated lives. So yeah, I think, I think forgiveness is very important to learn because without forgiveness, there won't be peace. Well, that's the kind of ending I like the most. The words were so powerful that we need not explain them. Thanks a lot for joining us, Kirtana. It was a pleasure talking to you. Benjamin Franklin said that an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. And definitely the knowledge that we have gathered today through this podcast from Ms. Kirtana is definitely going to pay the best interest because we are going to be the change that we want to see in the world. Always remember, the most powerful leadership tool you have is your own personal example. And Ms. Kirtana is the best example for this. I really hope all of us can learn from her and all of us can decide from this moment onwards that we will definitely take a step forward towards changing this world in a better way. We are all powerful and powerful youth leaders can actually bring about big changes in the world. Thank you all for joining with us. Thank you, Keetana, for joining with us. We will see you in the next episode of CD Bath. Signing off, this is your host, Lovepreet Kaur.